The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks shrugging off white-hot inflation data as technology shares also shake off rising bond yields for a third straight day of gains. President Biden's pick. For the Fed's number two spot heading to the Hill this morning to try to win support for her confirmation with tough talk on skyrocketing prices. Speaking of the Fed, another central bank official out with new comments on those looming rate hikes and the potential for more of them. Overseas, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson fighting for his political life as he faces calls to step down for breaking COVID rules. We are live in London with the latest there. And then looking to write off those office supplies from your work-from-home supplies? Not so fast, says the IRS. Yet maybe take all those deductions. It's Thursday, January 13th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Futures right now are starting to show some signs of life, but they are still relatively stable right now. The Dow is implied lower by roughly just seven points overall. The S&P just about flat on the session and the Nasdaq implied higher by one. It's just about as even as it gets right now. So, yes, very stable. Stocks are shaking off inflation worries from yesterday with the major averages all closing higher. The Nasdaq, by the way, notching its third straight day of gains That December consumer price index reading showing an annual increase of 7%, the biggest jump since 1982. Taking a look now at the Treasury side of things, you'd think there'd be some movement in yields given those red-hot inflation numbers, but I think the market was probably expecting it. Ten-year note yields are ticking higher, just slightly here today, just 1.75%. So, yes, breaking above the previous range, but still below that 1.8 level that we've seen over the past week. Two-year benchmark note yields just a hair below 92 basis points or 9.92%. Turning out of the energy markets, oil prices right now in the green. U.S. benchmark prices, $82.82. That's up about one quarter of 1%. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures just a hair below $85, up about one third of 1% as well. We also want to look at the price of natural gas. Very shocking moves these days. Nat gas futures surging more than 14% yesterday as colder temperatures and forecasts for more winter weather sweep across many parts of the U.S. You can see it down about 2.5%, but just over the course of the last couple of days here, a huge move higher in those Nat gas prices. Us here in the Northeast, we can really feel it. And have a look at those cryptocurrencies as well. Bitcoin prices, very much a key focus. We are actually now just a hair higher. 43,932, so just below 44,000. Now, you may recall over the last week during the Bitcoin sell-off, we got to around 39,750. 
that area of support had to go all the way back to August. So you've got to see whether or not these prices can hold here. Ethereum down about one half of one percent, 33.66, the last trade there. Now, those assets are getting a boost yesterday on the back of that inflation data. So let's see if that kind of prevails in the overall trade. Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trading action in Europe and that growing political fight over Prime Minister Boris Johnson's political future. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, let's kick off with markets. And we're off to a fairly muted start here in Europe after a strong trading day yesterday, which saw the main benchmark in Europe. The stock 600 rally about 0.6 percent, its second positive session in a row. This morning, a little bit of a pullback. We've got the CAC 40 over in France down about three tenths of a percent. A little bit of red on the board for the German index as well as the Swiss market. A little bit more resilient in the periphery with Spanish and Italian equities trading higher and the FTSE 100 trading around the flat line. Now, the FTSE 100 is in focus today alongside Sterling, which I'll give you a picture of now because Boris Johnson is front and center. Many saying his days are numbered. The prime minister is facing lawmakers' calls to resign after he admitted attending a Downing Street garden drinks party in May 2020. Now, why was that important? It was the height of the pandemic and with the country under strict lockdown measures. Now, leaders of all the major opposition parties, as well as the Scottish Conservatives, calling on the Tory leader to step down. But the prime minister insists they wait for the results of an inquiry. So, Dom, we are very much in wait and see mode right now with the prime minister asking uh, members of his own party, members of the public to withhold judgment until this independent inquiry has concluded. But as you heard there, not only the opposition party, but members of Boris Johnson's own party are now saying the party's over. Interestingly, markets fairly resilient. Sterling is actually trading higher this morning by about a quarter of a percent. Dom? All right, Juliana Tettelbaum, live in London with the latest there from Europe. Thank you very much. Now to some of this morning's other top headlines, including new troubles for another Chinese property developer. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Dom. Dom, so shares of Sunic China Holdings plummeted in overseas trading overnight after it revealed it's trying to raise more than half a billion dollars in a bid to repay short-term loans. That comes after mainland China's third largest developer said Wednesday that it had resolved a dispute that triggered a steep drop in its dollar bonds. Reports are also circulating that Sunic, one of China's most heavily indebted property developers, may have defaulted on a wealth management product. Shares of Australia's biggest casino operator, Crown Resorts, taking off today after it said its board will likely back an improved buyout bid by Blackstone, the private equity firm, which already owns 10 percent of Crown, sweetening its offer a third time to $6.5 billion. According to reports, the duo hoped to sign off on the deal by the end of this month. And back here in the U.S., Fed Governor Lael Brainerd is set to go before the Senate Banking Committee this morning for her confirmation hearing to become the central bank's vice chair. Brainerd will pledge to lawmakers to help the Fed fight the rapid rise in inflation while still supporting the economic recovery, according to prepared remarks ahead of the hearing. And according to Axios, some Senate Republicans have suggested they're open to voting for Brainerd to serve as the Fed's number two. Something to watch, Dom. All right, Silvana Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. Let's stick with the Fed and inflation. Your next guest says Fed winds have swept across the markets, creating a lull in the sales of the rally to record highs. But a rate hike cycle does not necessarily mean we are headed into a bear market or slowdown in economic growth. Craig Johnson is the chief market technician over at Piper Sandler. 
Craig, you know, we, we, we probably look at this process for raising interest rates and think to ourselves, this is a way to tap the brakes on the economy and slow things down. And that's why they're doing it. But why does it not necessarily lead to a down market? Good morning, Dom. It, you know, the bottom line is it takes time for these rate increases to actually start to slow down the economy. And if you look back at the last couple rate cycles, you had one from 2015 to 2019 in that time frame. You saw the S&P 500 back in that particular cycle uh, up 46%. You saw growth up 62% on the RLG, and the RLV was up 31%, Dom. So it takes time. And so it wasn't until you get that first cut that when the market started to sell off. And if you go back even one cycle before that, and you look at the cycle from 2004 to 2007, you saw the S&P up 34%. You saw growth up 29% and value up 43%. So the key thing going forward from here, Dom, is if rates are going to keep moving up here for a little bit, should investors be leaning toward value or leaning toward growth? And that's the number one question that I'm getting. And I think right now we got to come back and take a hard look at 10-year bond yields. And right now, I think a nice little double bottom is made, but I don't think rates are going to be moving above 175 to 2% in 2022 because we just really, as a country, can't afford to have that happen, and the Fed's not going to let that happen. So, so, so let's go back to that question, the number one one that you're getting from clients, growth versus value. What does the setup look like? Because you look at last year and you say, hey, two of the best-performing sectors, I think the two best-performing sectors – we're real or energy first, first and foremost. We kind of get that. But then it was real estate and then it was financials. Those scream to me value cyclical kind of oriented type sectors and stocks. Is that the same trend that continues? Energy's already off to a roaring start. The sector's up 14 percent in just a very short time year to date. You know, Dom, just because the calendar has changed doesn't mean the trend has changed. And when I go through and I start looking at energy, financials, and uh, basic materials and, and these areas, they still look very, very constructive. In fact, I've been recommending to clients to stay overweight, large cap tech, energy, and also the financial sector, and I don't see that changing. What I suspect could happen, Dom, is we can see here for a while until rates move up to that kind of 2% huge overhead resistance level is that value trade continues to work here for a while, and perhaps that's the first half of the year. And then when you hit that 2% ceiling and rates stabilize and maybe come down just a little bit, you probably get a rebound back toward the growth stocks. But for now, I would still stay leaning toward those, those value stocks at this point in time Energy specifically, I see a lot of great charts and a lot of great setups. For instance, uh, I shared with everybody the chart of uh, ExxonMobil. It looks like a very nice bottom is being made, and it looks like uh, we've got perhaps 30-plus percent upside to kind of the next technical objective. So big oil is going to be something a lot of folks watch because it's the most brand-recognized way to play that energy market. You mentioned the large-cap, mega-cap technology trade. I want to kind of pivot back towards that because – When we talk about rate hikes over the last couple of years, whenever we've talked about possible interest rate increases, we've talked about compressions and multiples. We've talked about valuations coming in specifically for growth oriented tech names. Why do you still like big tech, even though we know the Fed is going to raise rates, kind of cut its balance sheet off and do all of that kind of stuff? Why do you still want to be in places that have seen in the past a sell off due to rising rates? So, Don, we got to break up tech a little bit here between some of these companies in specifically the SaaS software names where they've been trading at 5, 10, 
30, 40 times revenue. And I'm not talking about wanting to own some of those names at this point in time. I think where you want to be is companies like Microsoft. You want to be looking at companies like uh, Adobe, these kind of companies that are going to allow companies to become even more productive by adopting more of the technology out there at this point in time. Even Amazon at this point in time with their, uh, their web cloud business and those kind of things are going to allow companies to be more productive to help try to offset some of these rising inflationary pressures that you're seeing. But those companies that have been trading at 20, 30, 40 times revenues, Dom, those are the ones that have been hit the most. They don't look like they're fully washed out quite yet, but those are the areas I'm trying to avoid. You still want to remain with the high productivity area drivers, and that's where I think some of the large cap techs come into play, and also in the semiconductor space too. And if you look at stocks like uh, Wolfspeed, it's another very constructive-looking chart, and it's going to be a big driver in the semiconductor part of tech. Still looks very, very strong. All right, tech and energy. Big calls from Craig Johnson over Piper Sandler. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, Craig. When we come Thank back you, on Dom. the show, airlines gearing up for earnings season to take off. See what I did there? We talk with one top analyst on whether Omicron may ground those results. Plus, your morning's big money movers, including shares of Coinbase, on the move over a new merger. They're up two and a quarter percent right now. And then later on, another one of Wall Street's top firms drawing a firm line in the sand over vaccines. But how firm can they be if they're in the sand? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. There's the theme music. It means it's earnings season. The major airlines begin reporting their quarterly results today with Delta out with their Q4 results before the opening bell. American and United, as you can see, there will follow next week after American's pre-announcement yesterday. And Southwest is set to report the week after that. Investors are keeping an eye on guidance as well as how the recent slate of Omicron related cancellations could impact both supply and demand for the big airlines. Over 30,600 flights have been canceled since Christmas Eve. That's according to FlightAware data. Joining us now is Sheila Kayalu, aerospace and defense analyst at Jefferies. We're going to leave the defense side of things on the table for right now. But then let's talk about the aerospace and airline side of things. Sheila, this earnings season, the expectations have to be low, right? We, we, we kind of know how bad it is right now. And, and it doesn't seem like people I know are traveling that much anyway. So what exactly are you seeing in the data that you're analyzing right now? 
Sure, John. Thanks for having me um, so early. And so, you're so clever so early in the morning as well. Um, so what we saw at the end of the quarter was actually cancellations ticking up because of a supply issue, labor shortages, issues uh, the last 15 days at the airlines. Cancellations were around 5% versus a 1% normalized rate. But what we've surprisingly seen in the data over the last two weeks is a demand issue starting to tick in. TSA numbers are now down 25% versus 2019 levels, a big change about 10 points from where we saw at the start of November. So we're starting to see demand kick in um, and a little bit of fear. Uh, we recently conducted a survey of U.S. consumers and 40% said their travel plans were dis disturbed because of the new variant. But also what you're seeing in January and the fall off in the TSA numbers is really corporate. Even the large financial firms are pulling back and you're not seeing corporate hit the road, which is a prime time in January to come in. So, yes, there's a bit of a supply issue in, in December that's now changed to a demand issue. And we're yet to see when that will pick up. So the setting is not all that great for airlines um, heading into this earnings season. So, so Sheila, I mean, you, you mentioned the survey. I will offer right now that my family had made plans to go to Florida just over this long weekend coming up. We canceled them about two or three weeks ago because not because of fear of covid so much, but fear of the covid logistics after we got back. Yeah. Kids having to quarantine, do all that kind of stuff. And so how long is that going to last? Is there anything in your survey data that suggests people want to travel at some point in the future? How many trips do they plan to take? What exactly are consumers like me saying in mass? Well, the good news is from a domestic standpoint, what we found is consumers expect to take 4.6 trips in 2022. Um, in line with what they took in 2019. So that confirms a lot of the thesis, whether you're playing airlines or you're playing commercial aerospace manufacturers, is that domestic travel is set to return to 2019 levels sometime late this year into 2023. So that checks the box with what we're expecting. But the international is still low. International is even worse. It's 36% below 2019 levels in terms of what our consumers expect to travel in 2022 relative to their 2019 levels. And a lot of that is because of the logistics. So Florida is great because you don't have to test to come back. Um, but if you're stuck because of a quarantine for an extra two weeks, um, it no longer turns into a vacation that you wanted. So um, that's what we're hearing. Domestics coming back. International is going to be prolonged. So, so OK, before we let you go, let, let's put the kind of rubber meets the road question out there. If it's a low base for international right now and expectations are really, really depressed, does that mean you want to tilt towards your investments in airlines with international exposure, like maybe a United or a Delta? What's the top pick there? So we have a very um, cautious view on the airlines overall. Deltas are only buy rating in the group. Um, we have a tilt towards Delta because of their international exposure. 50% of their international is geared towards transatlantic versus 40% for the other major carriers. We think transatlantic is going to be the first corridor to open up. In fact, when the November 8th regulations were removed between traveling back and forth within the U.S. and Europe, we saw that already open up. So um, that's really why we like uh, Delta. And second, it's for its corporate play, higher corporate exposure to small, medium businesses, which have returned. And I'm sure Ed Bastion will tell us about more about that today um, versus the large corporates that are holding back. Um, and so that, that's really why uh, the second reason why we like Delta and we like it for pricing. Um, 
you know, a Delta seeming to offer more for the consumer and therefore could potentially garner more pricing power in a market that's going to see 25% higher capacity. So could see pricing risk in this inflationary environment. All right. Sheila Kayalu with the update on the friendly and hopefully, hopefully friendlier skies in the coming months. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, Sheila. Thanks, Tom. All right. And don't miss a first on CNBC interview because Sheila just referred to it with Delta CEO Ed Bastian. Later on this morning, he's going to be on live in the 7 a.m. Eastern time hour on Squawk Box. Still on deck for the show, private equity going public as TPG prepares to make its trading debut today. What its entry into the public markets could signal about the overall IPO landscape. We'll have those questions and some more answers. We'll, we'll be back in just a moment here. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. Stock number one is Taiwan Semiconductor. Fourth quarter profits rising 16% to a record thanks to huge global demand for, yes, computer chips. TSMC, which is a major supplier to Apple, plans to spend at least a third more than last year to make advanced chips. It expects to lift capital spending to between 40 and 44 billion dollars. Stock number two is KB Home, fourth quarter profits beating forecasts while sales rose 40 percent. That's roughly in line with analyst estimates. The company says it had to meet healthy demand for housing amid extremely challenging conditions, working through labor shortages, supply chain disruptions and municipal delays as well. And stock number three is Coinbase. It struck a deal to buy FairX, a Chicago-based derivatives exchange. The move will expand Coinbase's offerings to retail and institutional clients, giving them access to certain crypto futures traded on a more regulated platform. A report by Crypto Compare shows trading volume of crypto derivatives was just shy of $3 trillion in December, topping that of spot trading. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. President Biden is sending medical teams to six states where hospitals are overwhelmed by COVID-19. He is expected to announce their deployment to New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Michigan, Ohio and New Mexico. Mr. Biden will also meet privately with Senate Democrats to hammer out a path forward on voting rights legislation. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer outlined the plan yesterday, saying he will force a procedural vote on two separate bills. He said, quote, once the bills are filibustered, 
we still need to change the Senate rules, as has been done many times before. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell fiercely opposes the bills and believes states should set their own election rules. This morning, the music world is mourning the legendary Ronnie Spector. The fiery lead singer of the Ronettes died after a brief battle with cancer. Five tracks from their debut album climbed the Billboard charts, including the mega-hit Be My Baby. Ronnie Spector was 78. Coachella is rocking its way back this year after COVID cancellations in 2020 and 2021. The festival is back with a star-studded lineup. Harry Styles, Billie Eilish, Swedish House Mafia, and Ye are the big names headlining the festival's two weekends. Other performers like Doja Cat and 21 Savage will help celebrate the comeback in Indio, California this April. So a lot of fans keeping fingers crossed down that that's going to stay on and not be canceled like so many things, just like that trip. You, planning, you, you, read my, you read my mind. I said, fingers yep. crossed, because, mm-hmm. you know, you think about all of these events. My wife and my mother-in-law had plans to go to Stagecoach, and that got canceled. I mean, there, there's so many. So, yes, fingers crossed on this yes, whole thing. Yes, tight. Tight. Yes. <laughs> all right, Francis Ferreira, thank you very much for that. Still on deck for the show, another day, another Fed talking head with the central bank's fiscal policy roadmap. What one chief is saying about the additional rate hikes that could possibly be ahead. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to keep the recent momentum going after brushing off that white hot inflation data with beaten down tech stocks continuing to lead the charge. Rising prices is set to be a key topic of conversation as President Biden's pick to be the Fed's number two makes her case for the job. We will preview that big congressional hearing. And a key China critic in the Senate facing new scrutiny over his investments in one of the country's e-commerce giants. It's Thursday, January 13th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Futures are showing some signs of life, but very modest ones. Look at this. The Dow Jones is implied higher by 13 points. The S&P higher by three and the Nasdaq higher by 22. It is green. It is modest, but still the bulls might take it as a victory. Stocks shaking off inflation worries yesterday, though, with the major averages all closing higher. The Nasdaq notching, by the way, its third straight day of gains. That December consumer price index reading showing an annual increase of 7%, the biggest jump since 1982. Shifting some of the themes within the markets so far that we are seeing, over the course of the last year, no surprise, the U.S. markets have outperformed just about everyone out there, including the emerging markets. Just look at that line with the orange over the last year for emerging markets, down about 7%. That's an ETF that tracks on the iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, Turkey EEM. The Spider S&P 500 ETF is up 24% in that same time. But over the course of this kind of year-to-day period, yes, it's still very young, I know. We have seen outperformance, though, in those emerging market stocks. So whether or not that gap starts to close becomes something that traders are watching. Next... Check out what's happening with the best performing sectors of the S&P 500 over the last 12 months. We are looking specifically at energy, 
real estate and financials. We talked about them in this past half hour with Craig Johnson over at Piper Sandler. But whether or not there's still momentum in that trade remains to be seen. But for right now, traders have now bid up energy to be the best performing sector again so far in the S&P 500 in just the first two weeks of this year. And taking a look at shares of two media companies that have seen a roller coaster ride over the last 12 months. We're talking about Discovery Communications and Viacom, generally down for the last year. But they are two of the best performing stocks, albeit, yes, off a low base over the course of the last couple of weeks. Discovery and Viacom, it remains to be seen whether those media stocks that have been underperforming as of late might find some kind of a catch up trade here in 2022. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Silvana. Dom, yeah, so uh, Blackstone is reportedly telling its U.S. staff they'll need to get a COVID booster shot to work in the company's offices. According to Bloomberg, in addition to the booster mandate, the company also plans to test workers in the office on site three times a week. Blackstone recently pushed back its return to the office from the middle of this month to the end as Wall Street grapples with an uptick in COVID cases. Senator Tommy Tuberville is facing questions over some of his recent stock trades. According to financial disclosures, the Republican from Alabama has bought and sold stocks and options in Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba since last summer. Tuberville, who is a staunch critic of China, made three separate purchases with his wife of shares valued as much as $300,000. In July, his spokeswoman told CNBC that in mid-2020, he ordered his financial advisors to sell off a small stake in Alibaba after becoming aware it was in his portfolio. And the Philadelphia Fed president says he would support more than three interest rate hikes this year. Speaking with the Financial Times, Patrick Carker says he currently has three hikes slated starting as early as March, but would be open to more if inflation continues to climb. Harker is the latest central bank official to throw weight behind beginning rate increases in March, Dom. All right, Silvana Hinal, thank you very much for that. Sure thing. Sticking with the Fed and one of this morning's other top stories, the Senate Banking Committee holding a hybrid nomination hearing for Federal Reserve Board Governor Lael Brainerd to be the next vice chairman of the central bank. In prepared remarks ahead of that hearing, Brainerd highlighting strong U.S. growth, a healthy labor market and inflation that is, quote, too high. Brainerd has been a Federal Reserve governor since 2014, serving under three presidents from both parties, has never dissented on a monetary policy decision, and along with Jay Powell, has been cautious of raising rates too quickly. Of course, today's hearing, scheduled to begin at 10 a.m. Eastern time, comes as the latest read on U.S. inflation hits the highest level since 1982. Joining me now is Priya Misra, Managing Director and Global Head of Rate Strategy at TD Securities. Priya, good morning to you. I, I, I wonder, from a rate strategy standpoint, this has got to be, this coming year, the most telegraphed set of interest rate hikes we've seen in quite some time. Is there anything that can catch the markets off guard knowing that the Fed is now predominantly tilted towards normalizing monetary policy? So you're right that the Fed has been communicating that they want to start to normalize. I think where the uncertainty comes in is the pace, the end point, 
the sense of urgency. So the rates market has been extremely volatile in the last month because the Fed's gone from this might be transitory, we can be really gradual to let's start hiking the moment we end tapering. Remember, just a couple of months ago, the Fed was saying tapering and tightening are actually two different policies where we expect them to end tapering in March and turn around and hike right away. So I think that sense of urgency is what's going to create volatility. We're going to be really watching that long end of the curve. I'm actually looking for much higher long-end rates because the Fed, apart from hiking, they're going to be letting the balance sheet run off. And I'm a, a little nervous about that balance sheet runoff because it's a large balance sheet and it's short duration maturity bonds. So a lot is going to run off. The US Treasury will have to issue a lot more treasuries. And if those long-end rates, if the 10-year gets above 2%, 2.5%, I think then it does start to impact risk assets. So I'd be watching that long end. It is telegraph, but it's really the pace that could shake markets here. All right. So, so, so Priya, let's talk about the pace then. Uh, first of all, I guess maybe I should say part one of my question is how many hikes do you think this year? I think three is probably the consensus. That's what most people are telling me right now. Some people like Goldman say four, others say four as well. Some others say maybe two. Where do you stand? And then how fast is too fast? So we've got three hikes and balance sheet runoff. I mean, I want to stress on balance sheet runoff as being a pretty strong form of tightening that the Fed has. They have that tool. We think they're going to use it near the near year end and it'll substitute for a hike. I think the question is next year. You know, we expect four, the market's pricing in three. What about the year after? So it's it's really the entire tightening cycle, the end point of that tightening cycle that needs to get priced in. I mean, your question of how fast is too far, ultimately it is going to depend on the economy. Now, our view is that there is a lot of fiscal drag this year. I mean, Omicron can have a short-term impact on service demand, but later on this year, when that fiscal support starts to step away and real incomes are not growing that much, you talked about high inflation that's eating away into purchasing power, we do think the consumer spending com- uh, component is going to slow down. So that's why I think three is enough. You start talking about four balance sheet runoff, long end rates rising. I think it's going to be a headwind for the consumer apart from fiscal drag. So I would argue four or higher is too much unless we get another form of support for the consumer. But I, I don't think we get much more fiscal support. So, so Priya, it, it, OK, you, you take a look at the scenario that you just laid out. What does that then mean for those long end rates, specifically the 10 year, because so many things are benchmarked off the 10 year, including my home mortgage right now? What what exactly can we expect when you say that it's going to rise by how much? Are we talking two percent, two and a half percent? Is it three percent? Where does it end? So we were forecasting two and a quarter by year end. So that, you know, it's still a good 50 basis point increase. Um, and I think that it, we can still handle. We start getting up to two and a half, three percent. Remember 2018, the 10 year got to three percent and that marked the end of the hiking cycle. So I do think that anything above two and a quarter, two and a half starts to become danger zone. I would also look a little deeper at real rates. Is the rise in long end rates largely inflation expectations led or is it real rate led? In the last couple of weeks, there's been a real rate move. And so if the entire move is real rate, it starts to have more of an impact on financial conditions, on the dollar. You notice the dollar has really been very, hasn't uh, risen as much because it hasn't been a real rate move. But if the Fed starts acting, and I think I'll be watching Governor Brainerd, if she has that sense of urgency as well, real rates start to move. I think it has more of an impact on the economy as well as financial conditions. Interesting that you mentioned the dollar too, because we have seen some slowing momentum in that U.S. dollar trade as of late, Priya. Thank you very much, Priya Misra. We appreciate it. Have a nice day.
Thanks. You right. too. A big day for private equity as well here as shares of TPG are set to begin trading today. The firm pricing its IPO at $29.50 per share and its foray into the public markets marks the first big test of the IPO markets for this young 2022. Leslie Picker joins us now with more on that big deal. Leslie, I still remember when it was the Texas Pacific Group. Well, they do still have that dual headquarters in Fort Worth and San Francisco. But, yep, now we just talk about it as TPG finally set to make its debut today after toying with the idea of going public for years now, really. The alternative asset manager priced in the middle of the range, generating a billion dollars for the company and selling stockholder China Life Insurance. The price values TPG at more than nine billion dollars. This deal will be one to watch for a few reasons. It's the first big deal of the year, as you mentioned, Dom. It's the first large alternative asset manager to go public through a traditional IPO in eight years since Aries, and it will be a test for the IPO markets in general, which suffered toward the end of 2021 and continue today. JustWorks, an HR software company, was supposed to go public today, but postponed its deal over a difficult Uh, market out there. And a basket of recent IPOs is down more than 8% in 2022 after trading in the red last year. But valuations for publicly traded private equity firms are way up, notching their best year ever last year. Blackstone doubled in 2021. KKR, Carlisle, Aries, each returning more than 70%. However, they have each traded lower in 2022 over concerns about how a rising interest rate environment will impact their businesses. TPG was founded in 1992 by David Bonderman and Jim Coulter, who are still active within the firm. As we mentioned, they're based in Fort Worth and San Francisco, and they've grown to manage uh, more than $100 billion in assets with $33 billion in capital on hand to deploy. The bulk of their AUM is in traditional control-oriented buyouts with a sizable growth and impacting portfolio as well. TPG will be listed on the NASDAQ and will trade under the ticker symbol no surprise here. TPG, Dom. It's always a, a concern for private equity because they borrow money, right, to, to take some of these companies private and public and everything else. So, w- w- Leslie, what are some of the risks that TPG has laid out as they go public with this? We know that every prospectus has them, but is there anything specific to this <laughs> TPG story that's worthy of note? Yeah, I think what's interesting here, they do have a pretty sizable Asia business. So they note the difficulties and the risk factors associated with doing business in China. Because they are a private equity firm, they note that, of course, doing deals, growing AUM, all of these things are important to their business. And, of course, there's no guarantee that they will find deals, be able to exit deals at higher multiple and generate the fees from a proportion of those profits, as well as be able to grow AUM. Now, its publicly traded peers have been able to demonstrably grow AUM during their time as public company, many of them have actually ventured into other areas like credit and insurance and real estate while being public. And under that kind of pressure to grow AUM, they've sought new areas to do so. So it'll be interesting to see if TPG does the same thing. Everyone's trying to seek alpha these days. Leslie Picker, thank you very much for that update on TPG. I'm sure we'll see you all day today with updates on that big IPO. Well, coming up on the show, why you might want to think twice before writing off those work-from-home expenses. Here's a hint. The IRS is watching. They're always watching. Death and taxes, that whole thing. We'll watch exchanges back after this. Welcome back. If you're one of the millions of Americans who have spent the last, well, nearly two years now working from home, 
You've probably spent a lot of money getting yourself resituated to be able to do your job remotely. And if you had been hoping to write off some of those expenditures on your taxes, the IRS is saying not so fast. Robert Frank joins us now with more on that. Robert, you are one of those people who's been working from home for a little bit more than a year and a half now at this stage. So are you going to be writing some of that stuff off? Well, Dom, I can't, and I'll explain why. Millions of American employees, as you said, have been using their home as their office, but not according to the IRS. Taxpayers who work for a company, in other words, those who collect their W-2 paychecks, cannot deduct any of their home office or any home office expenses. That's because the 2017 tax law suspended the deduction until at least 2025 for all employees. Now, the self-employed workers, let's say business owners or partnerships, they are more fortunate. They can deduct their home office and the benefits can be substantial. There are two rules for the deduction. First, the taxpayer needs to use a portion of the home exclusively for business and the home must be the taxpayer's principal place of business. And it's all done by ratio. So if your office is one-tenth of your home size and you pay $20,000 a year for your mortgage, you can write off $2,000 a year. Plus, one-tenth of the home's maintenance costs, repairs, property taxes, insurance, all that stuff during the year. You can even claim the home office deduction for part of the year. So if you left your employee job in June and started your own business, you can claim your home office for six months. But Dom, this really is a a dual class system now for home office. If you're self-employed, you can write it off. If you're employed, you can't. I mean, here's the one thing, Robert. We, We know that in so many facets of not just our personal, but our business lives, the pandemic has created multiple classes of people, of employees, of systems, of everything else. So why exactly then does the IRS treat self employed workers different than other workers that are maybe similar in nature, but completely different in the IRS's eyes. Yeah. So the tax code has always been structured to prefer the self-employed and business owners because presumably they're taking the risk. Now, the 2017 tax cuts before that, even the employed were able to take the home office deduction if they never set foot in their corporate office. If they work from home for the entire year, they could use the home office deduction. 2017 tax cuts changed that, and the rationale was that you were you were increasing the standard deduction to $24,000, so you really didn't, most people didn't need that extra deduction. But then the pandemic hit and everything changed. I'm surprised that not a single congressperson in Washington has proposed to bring it back, at least temporarily, during the pandemic for teachers, for people who need to work from home during at least part of the year but play a critical role in society. So I'm just surprised no one's come, come up in Congress and said, at least let's change it for a, for a year or two. All right, you heard it. If any of our Congress people are up and watching Worldwide Exchange right now, let's talk about people and tax deductions and work from home. You heard it from Robert Frank. Thank you very much, Robert. Have a good day, sir. On deck for the show, Wall Street is gearing up for the big banks to roll out their quarterly results. John Najarian lays out which financial firm is seeing plenty of options action ahead of those numbers. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. Here's Brian Sullivan's smiling face. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back.
There it is, Times Square in New York City, in Manhattan, Midtown, not too far from here. Just below there in the NASDAQ market side is where our friends at Squawk Box, Joe, Becky, and Andrew are getting ready in just about seven, eight minutes' time to go live on air. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, though, here in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Futures right now indicating what could be a very slight positive tilt at the opening bell. The Dow's implied higher by 15 points. The S&P higher by two and the Nasdaq higher by a whopping 11 right now. So, yes, very modest moves. Taking a look at the Treasury side of things, the 10-year note yield is holding steady, although it's ticking ever so slightly higher. The last trade there, one and three quarters, that's 175 basis points, 1.75 percent. The benchmark two-year Treasury note yield is just a hair below 92 basis points or 0.92 percent. And that 30-year long bond, 2.09 percent right now. So we are seeing green kind of across the entirety of the yield curve right now from the short to the long side of things. Very much in focus today, given the feds and Congresses, the, 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 the congressional hearings over here. Now, let's take a look, by the way, at some of those sectors that have been leading the way over the course of the last year. We've talked about energy. We've talked about real estate. We've talked about financials. Very much the positive momentum trade there. And that white line is the one I want you to kind of focus on there. Just in that right-hand side of the screen, we are already up 14% for the energy sector in just the first couple of weeks of 2022. Well, investors are turning their attention towards earnings season with financials in focus as several big banks prepare to report their results in the days ahead. For more, let's bring in John Najarian, Market Rebellion co-founder. He's also a CNBC contributor as well. John, great to talk with you. Always great to have you here. Let's talk about what you're seeing. Where is the options action right now in that big bank trade? Well, and thank you, Dom. Literally just walked off the stage here in San Moritz for a crypto talk. So I certainly appreciate your patience and your producer's patience. Um, here's what's going on, Dom. Yesterday we saw some really big, fast trades hit in Wells Fargo. We both know 24 hours from now we're going to be getting earnings from Wells Fargo and several of the big banks. Uh, to see uh, all those upgrades and then see the very fast uh, 28,000 options trade in Wells Fargo, that to me, Dom, said that people are still betting that uh, rates hold here at 172 or so and or keep pushing higher, that they do not go down in the short term or they would be betting against banks like Wells Fargo. Um, but they're doing the opposite. They're very bullish into the earnings tomorrow. And in the financial space, we've seen the XLF as well as WFC and several other of the uh, uh, of those financial stocks just ripping. So, so John, I, I wonder from, from your side of things, what, what do you think is the more compelling trade here, given the fact that we are seeing a very transparent Fed, so to speak, on a relative basis with regard to their intentions for raising rates? Are you looking more at traditional lenders, you know, the, the, the traditional retail commercial banks? You, are you focused more on the investment bank securities operations? Where, where exactly is that positivity right now? Well, uh, I think you always want to be aware, as you always have been, Dom, that uh, uh, you don't have to fill out paperwork once, you're, once you have a margin account. You can borrow money from your broker immediately. It's not like a mortgage where it goes through an approval process before you can borrow or even some commercial lines of credit and things like that. A margin account at Morgan Stanley, at uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, means that you're borrowing money immediately. Um, once you have been approved, and most investors are, um, you can borrow uh, at least two to one on your cash, which means 
that uh, those are the fastest to get the benefit. Uh, banks take a little longer to get that Bank America loan approved and so forth. So I would go with the broker-dealers first, Dom, um, but nonetheless, I am long several of those. So I would focus right now on broker-dealers followed by traditional finance. All right, and just a couple seconds left here. John Najarian, what do you expect from the Fed today? Anything you're listening for in particular? Well, it's going to have to be hawkish. I mean, my, my catchphrase now, Dom, is, um, they have no choice but to talk like a hawk. Um, they're going to have to do that because of the 7% year-over-year numbers and because of the uh, uh, inflationary pressure. So sure. it's going to continue. The talk is going to continue. Now we'll have to see if they walk that walk when we get to the next meeting. All right, John and Jerry, and thank you very much, and safe travels from Sam Moritz. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.